These are the confessions of American Christians repenting of American Christianity. This is the world we made. guys somehow using my amazing psychic powers i can sense we're coming to the end of the discussion today is there anything we should have talked about but that we didn't jake ben i don't know abortion has had a lot of shall we say unintended consequences okay real quick like what for example in south korea and then in china and then in india the practice of sex selective abortion has become pretty normal uh, this quote from a report by the Guttmacher Institute, which, again, is the research arm of Planned Parenthood, should give you the idea here. Quote, the Chinese Academy of Social Scientists predicts that by 2020, China will have 30 to 40 million more boys and young men under age 20 than females of the same age, end quote. And the report goes on to talk about India's crisis of sex ratios. In 2011, India did a census. This showed that across the nation, they had only... 914.6 girls for every thousand boys. The Guardian reported that, quote, India is estimated to have 63 million fewer women since sex determination tests took off in the 1970s, unquote. Testing for sex has resulted in killing millions of girls, which, by the way, leaves a massive population of young men without girls to marry. The West, of course, says this is sexism. Asia, not cool. It can't get around it. Feminism equals abortion equals the death of a multitude of pre-born girls. So it's actually hypocritical for the West to condemn the East for what they're doing. Which actually some feminists in the West recognize. For example, there was a philosophy professor at San Francisco State University named Mary Ann Warren who said, quote, I will argue that the objections to sex selection are insufficient to show that it is inherently immoral to pre-select the sex of a child, unquote. Now that's from her book, Gendercide, The Implications of Sex Selection, where she also said, quote, There is great danger that the legal prohibition of sex selection would endanger other aspects of women's reproductive freedom, including the right to choose abortion, end quote. In other words, if we stop people from murdering girl babies, there's a chance we might have to prohibit them from murdering any babies at all. Oh, darn. And there's more and more evil things that come out of abortion. We could talk about things uh, we could talk about at great length, like, I don't know, IVF. I think you should tell people what you and your wife are going through. I don't know. Am I wrong to say that? No, you're not wrong. Well, we've wanted to have children since we were married a few years ago, have not been able to, and began looking into adoption, infant adoption. Megan, at least, had heard of embryo adoption but because it was associated with IVF in the whole realm of assistive reproductive technologies, which is an evil world, she had no interest. I was happy to trust her judgment because she does know about this stuff. She's grown up in a pro-life ministry world talking about these kinds of things, and I didn't. So she says it's bad, it's probably bad, but then we ended up being put onto it one way or another. Well, I think one of the adoption agencies that we looked at has embryo adoption and we have friends who did it and we just became curious and began to read about it so we researched it and we looked into it and there's only estimates but there's over a million little embryos frozen in the united states alone 
that's only an estimate because it's not a regulated industry, really. And we don't have records. So who knows how many children there are frozen. And that's just the United States. That's not the rest of the world. And Jerome Wojun, the discoverer of Down syndrome, he would call it frozen and kept in. You remember that? Kept in the fridge. And also kept in concentration. Oh, concentration cans. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. Concentration ahead. cans. He had a great turn of phrase. Well, it exists. You can adopt embryos because of the evil of creating children in a lab and playing God in a laboratory for your own convenience. It's a giant consumer industry. Sperm donation, egg donation, IVF, surrogacy. It's a giant consumer industry. Cryogenic it's preservation. Cryogenic preservation. It's such a money-making mm. venture. It's made a lot of money for a lot of people, including people who, at least on some level, in their own consciences, are simply doing all they can to help infertile women have babies. But they are lying to themselves. It needs to be said. And anyway, embryo adoption is adopting an embryo that someone else didn't use after they had the baby created. They had the embryo created in a lab. And why would they not use every child that they create in a lab? Well, for one, you can't because many of them die along the way. It's just part of the process of creating them. And for another, most families end up creating way more embryos. Again, this is part of the process. Perhaps than they would intentionally create. Perhaps they would only have created five embryos instead of 20. But this, you can't always control this process that way. And then when they have a certain number of children, perhaps two, maybe three, they say our family is complete. Those other little ones that we created, we don't want to give birth to them. Some of these families donate the remaining embryos to science. And they're killed. Yes, they're killed for research. Some of the embryos are abandoned. Some of them die in laboratory accidents. Some of them are given up for adoption. Although I should also say that some of them are simply donated to other people who go to fertility clinics. And I say that because they're not thinking of it as adoption. They're thinking of it as a transfer of property. Here, you can have these. I don't want them. And that's how the process is treated. In our case, there's a Christian organization called the National Embryo Donation Center that treats the process like adoption, not like the disposal of goods. So we got connected with them. And so embryo adoption is like giving birth to your adopted child. The birth mother has a connection with her baby, even though it's not hers or the father's genetically. They'll be our children from a much earlier stage. And so it's a strange world. You're rescuing children. The good news is that we had a transfer of two little embryos to my wife the other week, and mm. now she's pregnant. Mm. What's strange is knowing right at the point that they do a transfer that she is in fact pregnant. The only question is whether the little ones will implant or not, and what will happen after that. It's not a question of whether or not she's pregnant, and so it's strange because something that's supposed to be hidden and meant by God to be hidden is exposed and made a matter of a procedure. <laughs> so are you yes. saying that they have implanted? Yes. So there's been great joy among all of us. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, Dan. which is wonderful. Praise God. But I just, I just want to underline for our listeners, there's this crazy science fiction dystopian system and Ben and Megan went in and 
bartered with that system and rescued, rescued children rescued out of it. children out of it. Which is why a lot of Roman Catholics would say embryo adoption should not be done because you, the system you're bartering in is wicked, right? And is a system of death, and that makes you complicit. In that it makes you, that makes you complicit and, and, somehow. And I understand that, but also those children still exist and are still in freezers. Saved two children from a freezer. So one Christian writer that Megan read, he ended by saying, well, yeah, embryo adoption is problematic because you're bartering in that system, whatever he's, however he put it. The best thing to do would be to light some funeral candles and let all those embryos melt and die. It's just incredible to me that he even could have written it. I just found it amazing. It's unnatural, was his point. It's unnatural that they oh, were created, so and it's, like, it would be unnatural for them not to be with their parents. So it's just unnatural. This is a so Frankenstein they just need they just need just, to die. Yeah. Yes, yes. I just I'm sorry I'm laughing, but it's it's, so it's mind boggling, outrageous. Yeah, yeah. Well, what is he going to say about Amy Carmichael rescuing the little girls from temple prostitution in India? What's he going to say about cases of rape? It's just... Or incest. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he's, he's a fool. Well, it's beyond foolishness. Yeah. It's wickedness. It's, it's incredibly wicked. And I don't like you ever saying the word barter. You did not barter because your goal was not to get a child. Your goal was to save a child. I, I said that word just to... Nathan you know, did. He I, said it. No, oh, no, no. Nathan said, Nathan, Nathan said it and I took it as, oh, as a handle. Okay. I think, okay. and you're right, it's not bartering. Yeah, no. I no. was only... Nor, nor do I think it is. I just wanted to give people yeah, some handle for you. understanding yeah. the crazy world that we live in. And actually, speaking of craziness, you can tune into our other podcast, Sound of Sanity, for some recent episodes on all things IVF. It's a world that's equal parts fascinating, crazy, and horrific, and we go into much more detail than we have space to do here, there. How'd you like my grammar on that? I'll link to those episodes in the show notes. Anything else we want to hit before we wrap things up? Any other ghoulish, nasty, soul-deadening details we want to linger over? Uh, I guess we could talk about the global traffic in baby body parts. Okay, let's spend a moment on that. Well, you might be familiar with David DeLayden and the undercover work of the Center for Medical Progress, which exposed Planned Parenthood's lucrative selling of baby body parts back in 2015. In the same year, the scientific journal Nature published an article called The Truth About Fetal Tissue Research, talking about how fetal tissue research was a need and about just how much of it is being done. Yeah, and what the article does is give you a clue that a whole lot of medical progress in our century has come through child sacrifice, through experimentation with the body parts of children. We are just pagan savages seeing what elixirs we can make from the unhallowed dead. I mean, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And it really does bring us back to the ancient use of child sacrifice, which was done as a sort of magic to gain prosperity and other cool stuff. By the way, in one account in the Bible, a pagan king sacrifices his son in order to turn the tide of battle against Israel, and it works. You can read about that in 2 Kings 3. Sometimes it does work when one of those annoying celebrities tells you how she wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for abortion. I've tried my very best to live a life of my own making, and not just a series of events that happened to me, but one that I could stand back and look at and recognize my handwriting all over, sometimes messy and scrawling, sometimes careful and precise, but one that I had carved with my own hand, and I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. She's not lying. 
She got what she wanted. We can't get into vaccines and fetal cell lines today, but it's safe to say that scientists have killed babies or used dead baby body parts all the time and made real gains in medicine by doing it. There are all kinds of good things in our society that are built on a mountain of little tiny baby bodies. Yeah, I mean, you're most just the... What are you supposed to do with all that? Well, our job is to learn the truth and to be witnesses. To talk about what's been done, what's really being done to these babies. And every Christian is going to have to figure out for themselves where and how to draw lines. It would be wonderful to think we could draw an easy line, like boycott all vaccines, and to think that a line like that would stop us from having any part in the shedding of innocent blood. But it's not true. We're all complicit one way or another. And we all have a lot of decisions to make in the coming years. And it will be hard not to judge everyone else for not making the same ones. I'm thinking a little charity might go a long way. Final question. We've talked a lot about civil disobedience and stuff like this, but just what is our responsibility as regards this great evil? Hate your sin. Love Jesus. Love life. Oppose abortion. Love your wife. Love your kids. Love your neighbor. Preach the good news. Pray for justice. How do you oppose abortion? I think it looks different for different people, but I think the first thing is that you have to have your own house in order. And that's part of the problem when we talk about some of these people is they don't want to get their house in order. And of course, there's a way to say, I've got to get my house in order. That is a justification for never doing anything or saying anything. But it does look different for different people. If there is something that is divisive in the church today, it is the negative of opposing abortion. And if we go into the future and we become more subject to a totalitarian state, which is what I've been saying for years is going to happen, the church is going to be tempted to divide more and more by saying we're the only ones that handle abortion right. Right. We're the only ones that handle COVID right. We're the only ones. And so... Would you please explain to us how do we oppose abortion without being schismatic? If we're talking about the individual in a congregation, the first thing that you have to do is cue off of your pastors and elders. What if they don't care about abortion? First of all, you need to question your judgment of whether or not they care about it. Excellent, yes. Second of all, if you are so secure in your judgment that they don't care about it, you need to question why you submitted to them as your pastors and elders in excellent, the first place. Excellent. Okay, so you are not the arbiter of other people's yeah, consciences so and the consciences helpful. of your superiors that that's God's placed so over you. Yeah. And if you are at the point where you think you are, then you either need to be in a place where you have better shepherds or maybe God's called you to be a shepherd. But be very careful about making that kind of judgment about yourself. You need other people. Why? Why? Because it's so easy to just be the kind of blowhard that thinks that they alone are the keeper of the conscience yeah, of yeah. the nation and, and of that's the definition the church. of a demagogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to become that guy. Why? Because you will ruin yourself, your soul, and the souls of the people that you should be caring for. You will destroy your family. Saul took matters into his own hands Constantly. because the prophet wasn't there. And he was And he had to sacrifice he just had to do it. himself. He was driven by fear and insecurity and all kinds of things that had nothing to do with the fear of God and trust in God and, and obedience to and God's waiting. word. Obedience is better than sacrifice mm-hmm. for a reason, is what Samuel says to him. So 
Be very careful about your judgments and your judgments of those that God has placed over you. For a young man, wisdom often looks like cowardice. And that I know that's a hard thing to discern, but there are people that have been there and done that before you. And so you have to find men that you trust who are zealous for God and zealous for God's truth, who have spent a lifetime accumulating wisdom. We have to be very, very careful about judging men as to whether they're cowards or wise. All right? Yeah. And through COVID, a number of young men judge me to be a coward. That the reason that we at Evangel Presbytery in our church, Trinity Reform, took the position we took was because we were fearful. And they didn't have a clue. They had no experience of the past upon which to base that judgment. And yet a number of young men think that we weren't sort of belligerating and angry and shouting the way we should during COVID. And I remember watching all of this and thinking to myself, you know, these young men that think we're cowards, they didn't show up. They weren't in my family when I took a stand against my father-in-law and brother-in-law over gender-neutral Bibles. They weren't there when I got fired for picketing at the abortuary. They weren't there, and I could keep going, but and, I'm not and, gonna do it. But you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, and it's also true that that's an on the one hand. On the other hand, it's also true that as we age, it is easy for us to rest on our past laurels and sacrifices and acts of courage. The zeal of young men does keep us all sharp, but it is a both and sort of thing where we and you as a young man, you have to have your zeal tempered by the wisdom of men who want your zeal directed. And so young men, be very careful in your judgments that you can't trust your pastors and elders. We saw so many churches split during COVID. And the reason that we spoke up against all the hatred of authority that permeated the conservative reform world during COVID is not because of our churches and our fear about splitting our churches. It didn't even almost make a ripple in our church. It was because of all the churches of friends that we had that were split. And so be very careful with abortion Yep. that you don't just accept that a man who tells you he's the only faithful one. I remember watching a video years ago where these guys who were like so sure of their righteousness just absolutely decimated an older man who was a part of the right to life yeah, I movement. Remember that, too. Uh, that was disgusting. And it was just yeah. so awful. And it wasn't awful because we're not aware of the compromise of right-to-life people. That's as easy to deconstruct as anything in the world. The same people that were behind that were excommunicated from a church for being divisive, ended up at the church of a personal friend of mine who then tried to work toward reconciliation. They left and condemned and destroyed that church and founded their own church that was an abortion-centered church. I've met those people. I was there for it. And these are people at the heart of the abolitionist movement. Man, it's so destructive. What I would almost say, and maybe I will say it, is the warrior that you want to follow is the warrior who is meekest and most humble. 
At this point in my life, I want to say that the men I trust most to have courage and zeal are the men who have the most meekness and humility. I spent my life reading novels and history about conflict and military. And one of the themes that you find, whether it's Hornblower, whether it's Patrick O'Brien, whether it's whatever the conflict is, they always say that the soldiers who are trustworthy are the soldiers who confess their fear. If you're following somebody and opposing abortion who seems to be larger than life and seems to have no self-doubt, <laughs> have nothing to do with it. Be afraid. <laughs> yeah, be afraid. <laughs> it is the tell. Yeah. It is the tell. My nine-year-old got hit in the face playing baseball, pitched ball to his cheekbone. The next time we got into the batter's box, he was afraid, and it was just in batting practice. And he cried, and he came out. And I talked to him. I said, you afraid? He didn't want to admit to being afraid. And I said, son, you got hit in the face. The most natural thing in the world is to be afraid the next time you go into the batter's box. Part of being able to step in is actually being able to admit to yourself when you're afraid. Acknowledge it. And then as a man, decide that you're going to set your fear aside and step back into the batter's box. It's not trying to deny that there's fear. You actually have to face it. You actually have to say, okay, I know it. I understand it. And I'm going to tell my fear it doesn't win because I've got a job to do. And that's part of how you teach your sons to grow. These men that are blowhards are men that have never been taught how to face down fear in any actual constructive way. And so they're men that don't have any real courage. And so they're men you can't trust in battle. Here's an idea, people. If your guy is larger than life, he's smaller than life. If your guy makes you wish you were like him, you should not wish you're like him. You should hope you will never be like him. Nothing we have said in this conversation, nothing has made you wish you were like us. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Tim. Right, yes. No, no, no I'm like serious. This. We consciously try <laughs> to pop the hot air in our discussions. It's not that we don't know how to be demagogues. No, no, it's that's actually right. much more difficult to be leaders than it is to be demagogues. Mm-hmm. And don't ever mistake a demagogue for a leader. Yep. <laughs> Tim says we're done. <laughs> it's we're over. Done. Well, didn't we just do what you uh, wanted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We. Do. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You can't yeah, just run yeah, out. There's yeah, a couple. There's a couple yeah, things yeah, we gotta. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Yeah. Here, so we're gonna do out of our minds, then we're gonna walk over there. We're gonna do videos. To support the world we made and the writing and speaking of Tim Bailey, please give at patreon.com forward slash out of our minds. To support Warhorn Media more generally, you can make a tax deductible donation at warhornmedia.com forward slash give. And don't forget to rate and review, subscribe and share. Thanks and God bless. Thanks.